So, Liz, I was thinking about happiness at work mm -hmm. recently and how we're always on this quest for it. I know for me, it took me over a decade to find happiness at work in any form because I was working in big law right out of law school. And I thought that was what I wanted. And I was making a lot of money and I was really doing important you know, work on big deals, uh, established clients and I just couldn't. Stuff you thought you were supposed yeah, to. Thought, stuff I thought yeah. I was supposed to do that I thought would make me happy if I had X, Y, and Z. And I just wasn't happy. And so then I left and I went to another firm. And that firm, it was a different area of the law. And I thought, oh, maybe this will make me happy. Maybe it's the area of the law that isn't right for me. And that wasn't working. And then I, I, I took a job where I was working less hours. And I was like, maybe it's just the hours that are killing me. And if I yeah. just get rid of all that stuff, I will be happy. But I was wrong. Then you're just unhappy for fewer hours. Yeah, just unhappier <laughs> for a shorter amount of time during the workday. But but even more unhappy because it didn't solve my issue. Mm -hmm. And I I think I first really found happiness at work when I came out here to focus on creative pursuits. And the reason is because I was being my authentic self. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean I'm a creative person. And so I got to do a job that lined up with who I really am. I got to create and produce a television show that ended up on the air and I got to see my name on the credits. And, right. Yeah, it's cool, but that's not the thing that makes you happy. The thing that makes you happy is when you're doing the work that actually is your authentic self. I would have done it for free. Yeah. I think a lot of people are trying to figure out what to do with their career to find that happiness. And it's not about what to do in your job. It's to make sure that your job is something that is your authentic self. And I think that will propel you too happy. Do you think you ever would have been happy in big law? Ooh. Yeah, I would be if they only made me uh, run the happy hours. <laughs> Most days, you've got a lot of places to go and a lot to get done before you can even think about falling into bed at night. Wouldn't it be nice if you could stay connected to the world while you were out there getting it all done? What if the experience of driving a luxury vehicle wasn't limited to just inside your car, but extended out into the world around you? Introducing the well-connected 2019 Lincoln MKC with a suite of social tech, including Waze integration so seamless the map appears right on the screen. Amazon Alexa with access to all the skills and services you get on your Echo and a 4G LTE Wi-Fi hotspot that allows up to 10 devices to connect at once with Lincoln Connect. With your 2019 Lincoln MKC, you're transforming traffic jam streets into clear roads. Empowering your voice to instantly change your environment. Set temperature to 72 degrees. All to make life a little easier. And when you're finally done, Waze, take me home. Let's get started. You're getting a seamless experience right to the very end. Alexa, open my garage door. Available via iPhone with Sync 3 with software version 3.0. Commands may vary by phone and AppLink software. Don't drive while distracted. Use voice-operated systems when possible. Don't use handheld devices while driving. iPhone is a trademark of Apple Inc. registered in the U.S. and other countries. The 2019 Lincoln MKC. Learn more at lincoln.com slash wondery. That's lincoln.com slash w-o-n-d-e-r-y. From Wondery, this is Safe for Work. Job stress, life relief. I'm Matt Ritter. And I'm Liz Dolan. On today's show, we'll be talking about happiness at work, how to find it, and how to hold on to it once you've got it. 
Later, we'll be joined by Gretchen Rubin, who hosts the podcast Happier, who will give us advice on how to find more happiness at work. And we'll debate those eternal workplace issues like what exactly is business casual in our lightning fast segment, Mind the Gap. But first, let's help some listeners. Hello, this is Kevin. Hey, Kevin, it's Liz and Matt from Safe for Work. How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Good, good. So we're up for your challenge. We understand you have a question for us. What is it? I do. So thanks so much for giving me a call. So um, I'm a young 30-something sales leader. I've kind of risen through the ranks pretty quickly at some really large technology companies. But long-term, my path and desire is to ultimately be a CEO. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of jumped around a bit over the last couple of years following some old bosses, each time getting a promotion and um, some significant raises. And my most recent jump kind of led me to a position as a VP at a smaller technology shop. The thought being that, you know, I'd get a little bit of a better opportunity to get kind of more hands-on with the finance and operations side of the business, which are some skills that ultimately I need to improve on. Got it. I'm three months in. It's not really going that well. My boss is kind of a tyrant. And in some ways, I feel like I've almost turned into the company shrink taking phone calls from everybody that's been in his path. And most importantly, um, I really don't feel like I've been allowed to do what I was hired to do, which is to build a sales and consulting organization and ultimately sell. So my question is, should I look to make a move pretty quickly and find a more permanent place to sit for the next couple of years? Or do I ride this out even though I feel like I'm, I may or may not gather the skills that I need to reach my ultimate destination as soon as I'd like to? Okay, this is a challenge. So, so when you say you become the company shrink, you know, I always, I always laugh because work <laughs> would be so easy if it weren't for the people, right? It would just be so easy right. if you just knew you could come in and do your job. But being the sure. company shrink can also be learning some of the people leadership skills you will need if you're ever going to be a CEO, dealing with the people's how to motivate people, how to direct people, how to give and get feedback, all those kinds of things. So are you at least learning any of that? Or are they just whining to you and you're uh, trying, to, trying to send them back out there to fight another day? Um, I'm trying to make the most of it, but it's probably more you know, the latter. And, and part of that's probably because I, I come to work with a, a pretty good attitude. And, um, you know, I like to have a, a very upbeat, positive culture. I mean, I think in, in sales and consulting, you know, the old school methods definitely to kind of motivate through the fear of losing your job. I, I don't believe in that. I'm, I'm much more in trying to coach people and help them understand and how to get better. And it's kind of just turned into, you know, I can't believe that, you know, so-and-so said this or so-and-so said that. Can you believe that? And so, yes, I'm trying to, I am learning, uh, I'm learning kind of by rapid fire on the job, but at the same time, um, it's also exhausting for me because I just want to do my job and, and, and kind of gain in my skill set and then move on and, you know, ultimately get to what I think is my final destination. And that's running a company. It, it's just kind of a mess. Yeah, I, I can empathize. As a recruiter, I play shrink every day of my life. And it's not necessarily, it doesn't say it anywhere on my profile or my job description, but it just goes with the territory. And it sounds like it's going with the territory of the company you're at. I guess, you know, as a recruiter, I always have uh, candidates now way more than I used to. It used to be I didn't have candidates who, um, you know, would, would jump quickly because they were afraid of being labeled a jumper. That was mm-hmm. a big thing. You had to stay for a year. And, you know, I wanted my resume to be pristine. But I'm seeing a lot more candidates who are 
leaving earlier. And I think it's not a bad thing. I think it's because they're being more purposeful about their careers and they're, they're being more objective. You know, I guess my question for you is you're saying, should I ride this out? I, what is it that you're riding that you think is, is, is positive for you? Because what I'm hearing is I, you know, I got on the wrong train and it's going <laughs> in the wrong direction, but I'm just going to stay on because you know, maybe it'll eventually get where I'm going. And I do that. Sometimes I'm stubborn and I drive and I'm going the wrong way. And my wife's like, what are you doing? And then I just wait till my phone's dead. And then we're going <laughs> the wrong way. Is there a reason to be riding this out that I'm, that I'm not hearing? Well, part of it is kind of that fear of not wanting to be, you know, labeled a jumper. Right, right. Um, I haven't really run into any problems with that. In fact, a lot of people almost embrace it. However, um, I am at that point now where I'm getting into that, you know, VP level role where I, I do recognize that I have skills that, you know, I need to, I need to gain and continue to grow in. Um, so when I say ride it out, I'm, I'm kind of thinking like, well, it has only been three months, like maybe it'll get better. Maybe my boss will get fired. <laughs> I don't know. Like <laughs> that's maybe, wishful like, thinking. Maybe, you know, I maybe think. if I can just ride it out, it'll be okay. But at the same time, um, I also, you know, I'm not one for wasting time. So if this isn't the right place for me, I'd rather just, you know, cut it short and, and, you know, be happy and, and start learning those skills. Yeah. I mean, you know, best on that. I was just going to say, it sounds to me like you're worried about having that, you know, you have a pristine resume. It's this issue of, Hey, mm -hmm. I don't want to have a stain on this resume a little bit too, but it's well, that, Matt, let yeah. me ask you something. Do you think three months in is enough time for Kevin to really know if this is the right job from for him? talking to so many candidates where this is so common a couple of years ago, if you asked me that, I would have said, no way no, you're too not, soon. it's yeah. too soon. But now it sounds like you're not in the transition phase anymore. Three months into your job, you know what it's going to be like tomorrow and the next day and even three months out. Yeah. And Kevin, let me say this. I feel like I'm your future hiring boss. So here would be my question for you. You walk in, even if you've been jumping around a bit, this is fine. And if you leave a job after only three months, that's going to jump out to me if I'm interviewing you for a job. And you need to have a way to explain to me what that is about. And to do that in a way that doesn't sound like I just hated my boss and had to move on. You know, and that's a really hard thing to do. Figuring out what that narrative is is really tricky because if you if you're sitting in front of me trying to get a job and you and you say the boss was a tyrant, that's not gonna work. But chances are you could figure something out. But that would be my worry about jumping too soon. I'm totally with Matt. Like, don't stay on that train in the wrong direction too long. But you need to figure out what your story is actually going to be. I, I agree with that, too, because when I get the calls from bosses from the, like Liz, they go, hey, so what's the story? Is this guy a jumper? Yeah. I need to be able to or you need to be able to, more to the point, Kevin, sell the story in a very positive way that, that, that just focuses on all your strengths that you still have from all of these other jobs. I feel like Matt's throwing you off the train and, you know, and I hope you land softly and find a great job. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Well, I'll definitely let you guys know how it goes. I appreciate the advice and, um, uh, who knows, maybe at my next place, I can just do my job and I won't have to get a, a secondary degree in psychology. We'll <laughs> okay. Good Thanks, luck. Kevin. You're always going to need those people skills, Kevin. It's about workplaces are about people. So that will never be lost experience. Agreed. Thanks so much for talking to us. Thanks so much. I appreciate the help. Have a great day. This is a segment we call Mind the Gap. 
Liz, let's face it. We may be co-hosts on the show, but I know we have different opinions on a lot of workplace issues. No doubt. No doubt about it. In this segment, we're going to run through a bunch of topics in a lightning round. 45 seconds to discuss a topic, then a bell rings, and we move on to the next one. Should we give it a try? Okay, let's go for it. Okay, here's the first one. Liz, eating lunch at your desk. Oh, absolutely. My preferred place to eat lunch is my desk, Matt. I feel like I have a lot of momentum going. I don't want to leave in the middle of the day. What? No, never, ever eat at your desk. I did that for five years, and all I got out of it was fat, back problems, stress, crumbs, and a fear of roaches. No, no, no. When I go out to lunch, I feel like all I'm thinking about is the stuff that's building up at work. I'm losing all my momentum. I come back, I get all sleepy in the in the early afternoon after lunch. No, I just crash through. I get all that, but honestly, if you feel that way, if you feel like you have to eat at your desk, most people who do that, it's because the office is their prison. <laughs> and outside, that's your yard. You got to go stretch your legs, play a little basketball. If you want to mold your butt into the shape of a chair, then fine. Eat lunch there every day. Okay, Matt. Standing desk versus sitting desk. Oh, you never want to be a standing desk person. You know the old phrase, never run when you can walk, never walk when you can stand, never stand when you can sit. Never sit when you can lay down and never lay down when you can sleep. You know who said that? <laughs> no. Churchill. Okay. I think. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. I thought he worked in his bathtub. That's what he does. Yeah, every I know. T- every I, time I see him on TV, he, he's in a bathtub. He did not have a standing <laughs> desk. I'll tell you that. And he was a great man. My last office actually was a standing desk and a conference table, which for me is the best of both worlds. Because most of the time I'm meeting, talking with other people, creatively looking at each other. I like that being together. But when I'm working alone, I kind of like standing up. And I feel like when I'm talking on the phone, if I'm standing up, I sound more powerful. I I totally get that, but I feel like we're heading in the wrong direction as a workforce. Now I see people with these standing desks that literally have a treadmill underneath them. No, treadmill desk is my next move. Oh, boy. Liz, as far as what to wear to work, what does business casual actually mean? I hate this. I hate business casual. I hate smart casual. I hate casual casual. I just, I have work clothes. I like to look semi-professional. That's my look. I feel like when someone says business casual, it means wildly different things to men and women. Honestly, I work from home, so business casual for me means working in my birthday suit. (laughs) My wife hates it. Well, can I give business casual advice for men in the office? Yes, please. You know, your cargo shorts are not business casual. Your flip-flops are not business casual. There's, I think even hearing the word casual... People react too casually. I hear that. I think the rule is, just think to yourself, has anyone ever said you're not taking business casual far enough? No, they haven't. (laughs) Okay, Liz, here's another one. Say it or write it. Say it, say it, say it. Almost always say it. If you ever have bad news for someone, say it. If you ever have good news for someone, say it. If you're ever talking about a creative idea, say it. I agree with that, except for anything that you want in writing, right? Like... Hey, salary negotiation, vacation requests, because I hear so many people saying, oh, but remember that time I told you six months ago I was going away? If it's a transaction, write it. Anything else, say it. I think that makes sense because you get tone. You can't capture tone in the emails. That's the problem. Everybody thinks they're they're being uh, witty or whatever in their emails, and then people just think you're being rude, and then you're out of a job. Right. My most recent job was largely with people spread out all over the world. Command of English really varied from country to country, office to office. That's why we did almost everything on video conference, because then we could really understand each other. I am totally a say it person. I wish people just talked more. Are you hiring? 
posting your position to job sites and waiting and waiting for the right people to see it. You know, ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way. So they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. How do you like that? You know, these invitations have really revolutionized how you can find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. As somebody who's worked in the headhunting field. One day. It's a miracle. That is very fast. (laughs) And they don't stop there, Matt. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Right now, Safe for Work listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com safe. That's ZipRecruiter.com safe. One more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com safe. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Today, less than half of us believe we're on track to meet our financial goals. America is changing, and with it, the financial challenges we face. And that's why Prudential has partnered with wellness expert Alexandra Drain. They're traveling across the country talking to real people in a project called The State of Us. From the town with the longest lifespan, to the town with the highest birth rate, to the smallest town in America. The goal is to uncover challenges getting in the way of financial wellness. Because even though our challenges may seem over overwhelming, Prudential believes there's a path forward for everyone. To learn more about the financial challenges facing America, visit prudential.com slash state of us. Welcome back to the show. If you have a burning workplace question and you need some advice, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at safe at wondery.com or leave us a voicemail at 424-224-5711. Again, our email is safe at wondery.com, and you can send us a voicemail at 424-224-5711. All right. Joining us now is Gretchen Rubin. She hosts the podcast Happier with her sister, and she's an expert on finding all the ways for us to be happier at work. Gretchen, thanks so much for joining us here on Safe for Work. Thanks so much. So, Gretchen, on Happier, I know that your sister, who is also your co-host, calls you a happiness bully. (laughs) (laughs) But for the purposes of Safe for Work, we're going to have you just as a happiness coach, right? You're just going to be doing some coaching here. Okay. (laughs) So you've done a lot of research about happiness in all realms. And so you're the expert. What really creates a sense of happiness for people at work? Is it the, the people, the pay, the sense of mission, the free food? Like, what are the real hot buttons for people? Um, Well, you've hit on a lot of them there. And, you know, when you're talking about happiness, a key and maybe the key to happiness is relationships. And so when you look at people who are happy at work, people who say, I have a friend at work tend to be happier. And a friend is more than just somebody that you make casual conversation about, you know, pop culture. A friend is somebody who you can entrust with an important secret, somebody who you feel like has your back, yeah. um, somebody who really cares about you. And so I think what this means is, you know, sometimes at work, and I certainly suffer from this when I was like in a more of a workplace situation, I just want to get stuff done. I'm like, why are we wasting our time at the beginning of this meeting and all this idle chit chat? Like, I don't want to have to stop and say hello to you in the hall. I want to just go through my to-do list. Got it. But in fact... <laughs> 
we're going to be happier if we feel more connected to the people around us. And so what I used to dismiss as chit chat, I realized is really important to creating an atmosphere at work where you feel connected to the people who are with you. And that is going to make you happier. Yeah. And what if it's like up and down the chain, like friendships with your boss or friendships with the people that work for you? How do you approach that? Or what do you know about the importance of that for people? Well, it's interesting when they look at like another thing that's really significant about whether people are happy at work is do you feel like your immediate boss cares about you and your success? So not do you have a charismatic leader who's giving a huge keynote or who's like written up in the Wall Street Journal all the time, but does the person you report to, do they get you or they do they care about you? Or are they trying to help you grow, improve, move in the direction that you want to go? And so that relationship is really important. I 100% agree with that. I've always felt like, and I give this advice all the time, that if you don't have a boss that believes in you, then you need to start shopping for a new boss. Because to be satisfied at work, to get ahead in work, you need someone who's going to take a risk on you, who's going to say, you know, this person has loads of potential, so I want to promote them over here to something they've never done before or give them a completely different kind of project over here. And if your boss does not feel that way about you, you're never going to get the really big opportunities. It doesn't mean you need to leave immediately as soon as you realize, oh, we're not really connecting. But it means you do need to try to develop that kind of relationship with your boss. Well, it's interesting because a friend of mine said that like, oh, when you're job hunting, the most important thing to do is to choose your boss wisely. And I kind of laugh because I'm like, well, that's not usually the headspace you're in when you're applying for a job. You're like, I want to get this job. But you're exactly right. What is going to make a difference in that job the most is your boss. And so you want to think like, no matter how good it sounds, if you're flashing warning signs are going off, pay attention to that as you're going through the hiring process. I think it's so true that in interviews, we all focus on getting the gig instead of deciding, do we want to work here? Do we want to work for this person? Do I often recommend, besides just trying to assess your future potential boss in the interview, see if you can get a chance to talk to the other people who work Mm. for that person, you know, to get some idea like, what's it like around here day to day? And that is great advice, because one of the things that research shows is that We tend to think, oh, I'm really idiosyncratic and I have all these special views in the world. But like in very large part, people mostly agree, especially if they're similarly situated. So if you like ask a parent of two little kids, like how was Disneyland? Probably the way they felt about Disneyland would be pretty much along the way you would feel about Disneyland. Mm -hmm. Same thing. If you are a paralegal and like you go and you say to a bunch of people who are a paralegal at a big firm, how do you like being a paralegal around here? As you talk to people you're going to get some themes emerging and probably you will have the same thing. So the idea that, well, everybody says it's horrible to work here, but I'm really good at working with difficult people. So it's going to be fine for me, or I've got a really thick skin or I'm really self-directed. So I don't, yeah, I That's mean, it's interesting. Like, well, if everybody's complaining about this, pay attention to that. Yeah. Yeah. Then at the very least, you're going to be in an organization where everyone is complaining. <laughs> even <laughs> even if you don't want to complain, if all of your colleagues are, yes. that's not really a good vibe. I would say that of all of the emails and calls that we get, I mean, there are a few recurring characters, Gretchen. One is the toxic coworker, and one is yeah. the bully boss. So let's take the second one first. What advice would you give to someone who has a boss who is just a bully? Is there anything you can do to deal with that? I think that's really hard. 
I really, I don't know. What is your experience? I mean, yeah. I just, I think it's, there's not that much you can do. Mm -hmm. I mean, to change some kind of behavior like that. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's just one of, it's very hard to give people advice. Well, okay, these three things are going to change that person's behavior. It's, it's not likely you're going to be able to change your boss's behavior. So obviously, you can change the way you react to your boss's behavior. And you can sort of band together with your colleagues so that you have each other's back. For me, that is what has worked in the past. Not that I've had a bully boss that often, but occasionally when it happens, I think that sense of we're all in this together among my colleagues is what has gotten us through that. No, and there's, there is that kind of classic thing where there's nothing like a common enemy to bring people together. So <laughs> exactly. there can be this kind of glorious esprit of, you know, you know, everybody just kind of like, oh, my gosh, you're not going to believe the latest story or something like that. And so there there can be that silver lining. Um, I had a friend. I thought this was really interesting. It wasn't really bullying, but it was it was a very difficult boss to the point that when my friend was going through the hiring process, they said this person's very difficult. So we're mm -hmm. just telling you up front like there's no. Oh, God. Like we're not sugarcoating it. This is a difficult person. So my friend decided that, and her phrase for it was, there's only love. That was her phrase. And she's like, I'm never going to complain. I'm never going to commiserate with my coworkers. It's like, this is who, this is the boss I chose. I want this job. I'm choosing her to be my boss. And I'm just never going to let myself go down that path. And she said that she felt like she really did deal with it better than her coworkers who got very mired in kind of like, What's the, drama the latest, of it all. Mm -hmm. you know, um, one upping each other and stuff. And she was just like, you know what? I'm just not doing that. Yeah. Another strategy I've seen work is when you say, okay, it's going to be a year or it's going yeah. to be 18 months. Yes. And you just know yeah. you have to go through the fire. And as long as you survive and come out the other end, that you yeah. can you can prove to yourself and to the organization that you can do that. And so I've seen that work with people, too. Yeah, well, when you know that you're counting down the days, absolutely. Now, one thing that works kind of in the short term, but then doesn't work in the long term is just trying to minimize how much you're actually face to face with the person, because usually like doing things by email or it's like there's less, they're less emotionally charged, but obviously feeling like you have to skulk around in the corners to avoid seeing your boss is not a recipe for long-term success, <laughs> but it can help with some difficult people. If you're just like, they're just going to make me crazy if I talk to them. So why don't I try to do what I can by email? Well, that's kind of the way I feel about how to deal with a toxic coworker, right? Mm -hmm. Like don't get sucked into their game. Try not to spend a lot of time face to face with them because it just, you know, it just gets, terrible. When you, you start to fight about things, everyone's voices get raised. That is not good. So I think detoxifying a toxic coworker does require minim minimizing contact because otherwise yeah. you just feel so powerless. Is there anything else you would recommend for detoxifying the toxic coworker? Well, you know, it, this is sort of like taking a step back, but one thing that has really struck me more and more in all my work about sort of happiness and good habits and human nature is really how differently people perceive the same situation. And you feel like, and I mean, I used to say this myself, like the situation is the situation, the facts are the facts, my view doesn't, like, what can you do? You can't reframe that in your mind, but in fact, you can. And I think a lot of times when there's conflict, I mean, sometimes somebody's just toxic and nasty and okay, fine. But sometimes like when you, when you're just having a lot of trouble or like you feel like someone's taking advantage of you all the time, 
Well, a person there's like, and this gets into this personality framework that I've gotten into, but that I've created called the four tendencies. But some people, if you say to them, Hey, Hey, would you do this? And they have a lot on their plate. They'll be like, no, you know what? I don't have time to do that. And like conversations over somebody else might feel like they really have to say yes to you. And they might feel very resentful and end up feeling very burned out and angry because they feel like you're loading them with, with assignments. Whereas in fact, you're like, well, if you didn't want to do it, why did you say you'd do it? Yeah. You know, and like, I realized this sort of with me in a workplace situation where I am a person where I'm like, I want to do my work my way. You can do your work your way. You can take your time doing anything I ask you to do. Like, but I, you know, I'm not your babysitter. Just do, you know, do it in your own, do it in your own way, in your own time. Well, so I was sending work emails over the weekend to this person that I was collaborating with. And I found out indirectly that she felt very burdened by this, that she felt like if I sent her an email, she had to answer it. And she didn't like having to do that on the weekend. She thought it was unreasonable. She was very, she was very resentful of it. Oh. But, and, and I was like, it literally but you didn't never know that that never dawned on you. Never like no, but because also like maybe if you're in a workplace, you'd have a policy. But this is like I work in this weird space where like everything's kind of like, you know, kind of one offs. We don't have an office policy. I'm I, you know, I am the office. <laughs> and so the thing is, though, once I realized this, I was like, oh, my gosh, I've been burdening this person with her feeling put upon in a way where I ne I was just like, answer on Monday if you want. Like, I don't care. I like to answer emails as they come in, but that's just me. So but now once I knew that she ha felt that way. It wasn't like I had to change or she had to change. I learned how to use delay delivery in my email system so that she just gets like five emails from me every Monday morning. So she doesn't have to work on the weekend and I can send the emails as soon as they occur to me so I don't have to like, you know, keep thinking about something. But again, it's like it was a conflict that was purely like I had no idea. Right. And so I think sometimes when someone's toxic or like there's a lot of conflict or frustration, they may have no understanding of how you perceive a situation. Don't assume that people are in the same universe as you. Right. Because they might not be. It's like, it's, you know, they could have a very different view. You know, some people are like, if you don't wash out your dish and put it in the dishwasher, you're, as soon as you use it, you are like the most inconsiderate, barbaric, you know, like, how is this possible? And then other people are like, why should I do that? You know, there are people where that's their job is to do that. So, like, why would I do that? That's somebody else's job. Um, well, it's yeah, it's interesting because we often get asked, like, well, how do I change this person's behavior? You know, I have this boss or this colleague and we yeah. just don't get along. How do I change their behavior? And, you know, I'm not entirely sure you can change their behavior or you certainly aren't are not going to change their nature so I know right. I know that's why you talk a lot about your framework what are the what are the four types I know I'm a rebel Gretchen you're so, a rebel so yeah um so you're okay so there's upholders questioners obligers and rebels and it it's a question of how a person meets expectations so there are outer expectations like a work deadline and there are inner expectations like you want to keep a new year's resolution for yourself so upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline. They keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. 
then questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they agree it makes sense. So they make everything an inner expectation. Mm-hmm. If it meets their inner standard, they'll do it. If not, they'll resist. And they te- they will rail against anything arbitrary, ineffective, inefficient. <laughs> then there are obligers. Obligers yeah. readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And this is like my coworker because she was like, you're asking me to do something. I feel that I must do it. I can't just say like, I want to take the weekend off right. because you're giving me this outer expectation and I can't meet the inner expectation and it's hard for me to tell you no. And then there are rebels, rebels like you, Liz. They want to do what they want to do in their own way, in their own time. Um, and if someone asks or tells them to do something, they're very likely to resist. But but rebels can be very ambitious. They can really want to succeed. They can Thank be you. very idealistic. They yep. can be very considerate of other people. Yes, the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So do you think, so whether it's that framework or Myers-Briggs or whatever it is, like, do you recommend that people really think about who, who their colleagues are and think about what their expectations are just as a way of managing them better? It seems obvious that at some point you have to realize it's not so much about you, it's about them and understanding them better could help you handle the situation better. Well, absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, the, the most, I think the most important thing is to know yourself. So you understand like, what is my perspective on the world? And then to understand how other people could be different and how they might respond very differently. Like, okay, I'm an upholder and you're a rebel, Liz. So we're like uh, opposite. And so I might be like, hey, Liz, here's my here's my agenda for the day. We're going to get so much done. Here's like every 15 minutes is scheduled. And these, this is the 10 point um, thing that we're going to get through. And at the end of the day, we're going to walk away having done all this. You're going to have your assignments. I'm going to have my assignments. This is going to be amazing. And you're just like, Oh my gosh, I hate the idea that you're telling me what to do. Right. It's Monday morning. I, I I feel like brainstorming. I had all these creative ideas over the weekend. Like, I don't want to follow your stupid schedule. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like, and it's not that I'm right and, and you're wrong or that you're right and I'm wrong. It's just that we work in different ways. And so how do we set up a situation at work where everyone can thrive and they don't drain and, and frustrate each other from coming from different perspectives? Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on Safe for Work today. And we really appreciate the happiness coaching. We always need some of that. Well, Liz, it's always so much fun to talk to you. I'm very happy to get the chance to come on your terrific show. Hey, Matt, if you're anything like me, I'm guessing you've been totally intimidated in the past at starting your own website. I know for me, I thought I was going to have to spend thousands of dollars to get someone to create it and then constantly pay people to maintain it. You know, because as you go along, you want to add content, you want to change things. And I just thought I can't afford it and I don't know how to do it myself. But then I looked at Squarespace and I saw you really can do it yourself. I've been there, done that with the bad website design, overspending for it. And now that I found Squarespace, I'm done. Never again. Never again. And I wake up sometimes in the middle of the night and I want to change my site or I'm worried that it's down. But with Squarespace, they have 24-7 award-winning customer support. So there's never a time where I'm alone scrambling because everybody knows when you have a business online – People are buying at all hours or wanting to check your site at all hours. So I love that they're there for you all the time. I really appreciated the fact that they have these great templates. You know, they hire the world-class designers to create the templates, which is useful for me because I am not a world-class designer. And why should I have to start from scratch? You can build what you need. And then the 24-7 customer support, it really, really is great. It's all you need. Keep dreaming, but make it a reality with the website from Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com slash safe for a free trial. And if you'd like to support this show, 
and you want to hear more shows like it, then please, when you're ready to purchase, use the offer code SAFE to save 10% off your first website or domain. That's squarespace.com SAFE. Offer code SAFE. All right, we're almost out of time for today, but let's call one more listener before we go. Matt, let's go to the phones. Hello? Hey, is this Michelle? Yes. It's Liz and Matt from Safe for Work. How are you doing? All right. How are you guys? Good, good. So we understand you wanted a little advice from us. What can we help you with, Michelle? Yes, please. So I am in my early 30s. I've had only two jobs since I graduated college, but I've been finding my current job increasingly stressful over the past few months. And I've also dealt with a pretty significant amount of personal loss since being at my current job. So oh, I'm sorry I really, to hear that. Thank you. So I really feel like a change of scenery is what I need in order to feel happy again or honestly just content again with my work life. So my question is, is it completely crazy to just resign from my job and up and move to a new city and state with nothing lined up? Because <laughs> some mornings I wake up and I think, all right, this is it. I'm doing it. I'm resigning today. Give it two weeks. I'll pack up and, you know, I'll make it work. And Mm -hmm. then other days, other days, honestly, the same day, I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. That (laughs) That sounds insane. insane. Yeah. Don't do it. Uh But I just, I just know that, um, you know, I really value being happy and content with work. And it's just something I'm not getting anymore. And I just dread every day going to work. Uh, Okay. All right. I think, you know, many people can relate to where you are. We've all been there at times. So what is making you so unhappy in your life right now? Do you think it really is things at work, Michelle? Like if you changed work things, would other things also feel better or get better? I just want to make sure that it's really your job because it might be more than just your job and you need to take a really holistic view of what you want to get out of life. Yeah, and I've I've been thinking of that also, and I think that um, just the different emotions with the loss that I've dealt with are tied to where I live and a little bit to where I work. So I definitely, and and I remind myself too, you know, I I do like what I do, so I'm I'm happy to take a similar role somewhere else, and obviously the same stresses would be there. Right. But it's just, it's just, I'm not, you know, I've, I've been out of school for more than 10 years. I've had steady jobs this whole time. And I'm just not accustomed to feeling this way. So it's just um, at the point, I don't know if it's if it's burnout, if it's been the workload, also the, the loss that I mentioned. Um, yeah. Can we talk a little bit about the, the personal loss? Because you keep coming back to that. Do you feel like that's something where you need counseling on that? Do you have a network of support around that? Or I know a lot of workplaces offer like employee assistance programs. Is it, does it rise to that level when you think about it, Michelle, that you need to talk to someone about the loss, not so much about your job? So yeah, I've actually, I've been um, just this year, that was kind of one of my packs as I realized how much this has been weighing on me. Um, so I'm through my EAP and also through other outlets, I'm in counseling and I do have an amazing support system of friends here. So I, I am able to talk about the loss aspect of it, but I think it's, it's partially the, the loss and just day to day, you know, dealing with that at work. And then, like I said, also the workload and maybe potentially a bit of burnout, which I've never experienced. So 
that's what I'm calling it, but maybe that's not what it is, but maybe it is, and I've just never experienced it before. So, Michelle, this is Matt, and I, I, I'm sorry for your loss, and I wanted you to know that I've, I've been in a similar situation. I actually quit my law job sort of on a whim, and I moved to California because I was feeling a lot of the things that you're describing, the burnout, the stress. I mean, I was at a point where I just didn't even want to leave my apartment every morning. And yeah. so I definitely don't want to say that it's insane to do that because I did it. So mm-hmm. maybe call me crazy <laughs> for doing that. Uh, but I mm-hmm. will say, uh, I, you know, I, I moved to another city. I didn't have a job. I dug myself a hole. I was sleeping on the floor. And moving without a plan made me feel like a failure in one sense. But also I felt isolated and depressed because I didn't have a support network. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think in a way I had set myself up for failure unnecessarily. And mm-hmm. so, you know, to me, what I'm hearing is you have a support system in your city. So, you know, I don't think it's crazy to go move to another city, but it's also not necessarily practical to just do it on a whim to set yourself up for some of these things. You know, I, I think that why can't you set yourself up for success if you do that? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying. I've been applying to jobs um, this year. This, this was really the the start of this year was kind of my year to make this change after recognizing how I've been feeling. Um, and so I have some, you know, little nibbles out there, but nothing concrete, no, no job actually lined up yet, but doing what I can for sure. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to say about risks too. I think a lot of people think um, about leaving a job as a risk, but if it's affecting your mental health, I think that has a value. I think that a lot of people just go, we're, I, I don't want to give up X dollars, but we never say, hey, we're getting more money into our mental health bank. Mm-hmm. So I think it is, there is a risk in staying in misery. Gold, you know, we, yeah. Sometimes we call it golden handcuffs when you have a job that's super hard to extricate yourself from. But you know, I, I think yeah. we're, we're trying to get at you know, what is it that's, that really is the problem because moving cities doesn't always fix doesn't solve that, right. internal problems. Yeah, we want yep. to make sure you don't quit and take all your problems with you and then meanwhile dig yourself a financial hole. So it actually sounds, Michelle, like you're going about this in a very thoughtful way. Quitting your job and moving to a new city sounds like a great idea, but not on a whim. So the advanced planning, <laughs> the advanced planning mm-hmm. is a good idea. And Matt, you referred to really getting in a financial hole. So I don't know if you have the ability to save and prepare, Michelle, but if you don't add all this financial pressure, that's going to make a big difference too. Yeah. I would say that in terms of if you're doing the numbers, make sure mm-hmm. that it's more than you think. Because I thought I had X amount saved to last me a year and it lasted me six months oh, really? when I moved. So I, I would say that definitely be cautious about your estimates. Give yourself a cushion. And I, I think the other thing that I did too uh, that was helpful is if you have a city targeted, takes try and get some informational meetings out there. Try and do some things so that if you are going to move to another city, you're not totally starting from scratch when you mm-hmm. get there. Yeah. And one more thing I'd say, Michelle, let's, let's focus on the really good news here. One thing I heard you say is that you like your work and you actually yeah. want to do what you do in another city. That's a huge advantage. Do you know what city you want to go to or are you still shopping for cities? Uh, yeah, I want to head to um, Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm. I happen to live in a pretty uh, expensive city right now and there's a lot that's pretty appealing to the Charlotte area. I, I know some, a lot of New York transplants that have moved down there in the past few years, so it seems to be a happening place. Yeah, it seems like every every like stranger I run into and kind of bring it up there, it's like three degrees of people who are going down there or know people down there. People well, that's good. That's there, great. That kind of 
That is great. That seems like a little bit of fate in action, too, which is good that you're listening to that. So I Mm -hmm. let's Matt, let's give her one last piece of advice on on those mornings where she wakes up and just wants to go in and quit on a whim. Any any tips about how not we're going to try to stop you from doing that. Okay. Okay. everything else, it sounds like you're good. I think it's silly. You know, it, it may sound silly, but just take a breath, meditate for a couple minutes before you go into the office and just you know, think about the positives, the work that you actually like doing and just focus mm-hmm. on that. And then when you get oh. home, start, you know, looking on the Internet at these things when you're, you know, outside of the office and, and start, you know, maybe start, as I said, start talking to people about their experiences there. Just reach out, you know, say, I, oh, you have a friend who had a friend. Would you mind getting me in touch with them? I'd love to, to pick their brain on the city. And for me, Michelle, it's always about plugging into my friendship field. Like, I don't even need to call around so much for the professional advice, but sometimes you just need a pep talk from your friends. So, Oh, yeah. uh, (laughs) Sounds like you get that. My girlfriends are great. Yeah, it's great that you, it sounds like you have a great support network, which is amazing. I think you're going to be able to make this happen, Michelle. I think we're hearing all the right things. So just... Don't go in one day and go crazy. (laughs) If you can stop that, you have the right plan. You know the work Uh you want to do. You know the city you want to go to, and you're on the path. So so good luck. Hang in there. Don't do anything rash, but do what you want (laughs) to do with your life. I think that's right. Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. In case you missed anything from this episode, just tap the cover art to check out the notes for today's show. You also find our email address, safe at wondery.com. And if you want to support the show, you'll find some great offers from our sponsors as well. Another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at wondery.com survey. It helps us make the show better for listeners like you. And who doesn't want that? This episode was hosted by me, Matt Ritter, comedian, recovering lawyer, and executive recruiter, and Liz Dolan, boss emeritus and satellite sister. Our original theme song is composed by Martin Blanco. Audio engineering by Misha Stanton, produced by Cameron Kell. Executive produced by Eileen King and Marshall Louie. Created and executive produced by Hernan Lopez for Wondery. Remember, workplaces can feel crazy. But you don't have to. Most days, you've got a lot of places to go and a lot to get done before you can even think about falling into bed at night. Wouldn't it be nice if you could stay connected to the world while you were out there getting it all done? What if the experience of driving a luxury vehicle wasn't limited to just inside your car, but extended out into the world around you? Introducing the well-connected 2019 Lincoln MKC with a suite of social tech, including Waze integration so seamless the map appears right on the screen. Amazon Alexa, with access to all the skills and services you get on your Echo, and a 4G LTE Wi-Fi hotspot that allows up to 10 devices to connect at once with Lincoln Connect. With your 2019 Lincoln MKC, you're transforming traffic jam streets into clear roads. Empowering your voice to instantly change your environment. Set temperature to 72 degrees. All to make life a little easier. And when you're finally done, Waze, take me home. Let's get started. You're getting a seamless experience right to the very end. Alexa, open my garage door. Okay. Available via iPhone with Sync 3 with software version 3.0. Commands may vary by phone and AppLink software. Don't drive while distracted. Use voice-operated systems when possible. Don't use handheld devices while driving. iPhone is a trademark of Apple Inc. registered in the U.S. and other countries. The 2019 Lincoln MKC. Learn more at lincoln.com slash wondery. That's lincoln.com slash 
W-O-N-D-E-R-Y. 